Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Rest for Your Souls. One verse from Matthew 9 and then Matthew 11. Matthew 9 verse 36 is where we'll begin. We're going to land in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. Very familiar ground tonight. And I want to talk to you for a moment tonight about rest for your souls. Will you say that with me? Rest for your souls. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, a big question that I love to ask people is, how do you think God feels about you? Whenever people come and sit down with me and they're wrestling through different things and they're walk with God, this is always a good place to start. How do you think God feels about you? What is your perception of the way God looks at you? What do you think God thinks whenever you cross his mind? Whenever you come into his presence, whenever you capture his attention, what are his thoughts towards you? How does he look at you? Do you imagine God being disappointed with you, angry or condemning? I want to tell you tonight, God's word would paint a very different picture of the way he looks at us. Those of us who've come to him in great, by grace through faith. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus gave an invitation to those who were weary and heavy laden. Those who labor and are burdened. And Jesus was talking to people who were laboring in their own strength to get God's approval. People who thought they just had to work and work to get God to love them. That they had to earn God's acceptance by keeping a strict code of religious rules and restrictions. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had done a really good job of convincing everybody that that's the way the thing worked. If you kept the rules, God really liked you. But if you didn't, then he didn't care for you at all. It was all based on your performance and your behavior. If you messed up, all you could expect was God's disapproval and condemnation. And my experience has been there are a lot of people who live in God's house who are New Testament Christians who still wrestle with those kinds of feelings pretty often if they were honest about how they feel God feels about them. What they think God thinks concerning them. And I think about that often. Many people struggle to win God's approval, afraid that if they fall short in any way, that God will reject them or condemn them. I've met a lot of Christians like that. They remind me of the elder brother in the prodigal son story. Somewhere along the way, they've lost sight of the fact that the reason they're in the house is because they're a son. They think they're in the house because they're good labor. And they don't realize they didn't get in the house by being a servant. They were born in the house. Amen? And they're in the father's house because they're the father's kid. And the labor that they do for their father is supposed to be an act of love and gratitude for all their fathers provided. Not an attempt to earn their keep or to maintain their position or to stay in his good grace by that. That's not it at all. But many Christians are like that. They believe that... Um, that God loves them because of their faithful service to Him. Well, God does appreciate our faithful service, and He does approve of that like any father would approve of his child's faithfulness. But at the end of the day, this is more about our position than our performance. Amen? Say that with me. This is more about our position than our performance. We are accepted because we have been adopted in Christ into God's family. Amen? And we're accepted in the beloved. Jesus is God's beloved son. That's what the father spoke over his head in the waters of his baptism. And that's what God spoke over you when you accepted Jesus. Ephesians 1 says you've been accepted in the beloved. 
You're part of God's beloved family now. He wrote that name over your head just like he did over the name of his own son. You are God's beloved child and with you he is well pleased. Many people who wrestle back and forth with this, it almost leads to a schizophrenic kind of Christianity. On the days we're doing well and have it all together, we believe God loves us. But on the days we mess up and don't have it all together, when we stumble or fall or sin, do we still believe God loves us? Well, according to the Bible, the resounding answer is yes. And we can rest in the love of God. We can, as the old hymn writer said, anchor our souls in the haven of rest. We can anchor down in the fact that Jesus died and rose for us. God has won us to himself at a high cost. And he's not about ready to get rid of us. You see, God doesn't just see what we do. He understands why we do what we do. I love the line in the Old Testament. For he remembers our frame that we are dust. God knows what you are. Limits and all. He knows how weak we are and frail we are. And God takes that into account. Amen. He sees our motives as well as our actions. Well, how does Jesus feel about people that don't have it all together? Well, he tells us how he feels about them. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is what the Bible says. Read it with me. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Amen? That's how Jesus feels about us. That is what he says. Well, what is his offer to us? Well, read it with me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And as people said, amen. Tonight I want us to hit I want us to hit three big questions tonight. Number one, how does Jesus see us? Say that with me. How does Jesus see us? Especially on the days when we aren't batting a thousand and we don't have it all together. Well, what Jesus said to the crowd in this occasion was very simple. He saw them for what they were. And he didn't see them through eyes of criticism or judgment. He saw their need. Don't you remember the old song that Dottie Rambo wrote years ago? I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary. Amen? Why? Because there Jesus looked where? Beyond my fault and saw my need. Jesus looks at us in that way. He sees past the blame and he sees the issues that we're struggling with. Jesus was moved, it says in verse 36, and Jesus moved with compassion. You know, many times we think that Jesus is moved, but we believe he's moved with anger or he's moved with disappointment or maybe he's moved with disgust toward us. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he's moved with compassion. Say compassion. Jesus is compassionate toward us. What is compassion? Well, the, the, the word in the English language is two words put together. Come means with. Passion means to suffer. And so compassion means he suffers along with us. He feels our pain. Amen. Uh, one man defined compassion this way. It's your pain in my heart. I like that. That's David Jeremiah's definition of compassion. Your pain in my heart. When Jesus has compassion, he feels my pain in his great heart. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews said? For we don't have a high priest that can't be touched, but we have one 
who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He can sympathize with us in our weakness because he was tempted at all points like we are yet without sin. Well, how does Jesus see imperfect people? Well, he understands us and he understands that we are, number one, defenseless. He looked at them and they were defenseless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to care for them, no one to protect them from the enemy, no one that they could depend on. The reason they were like they were is because no one had done right by them their entire lives. I want to tell you, we live in a world where that is often true of people. It's easy for us to look at people and judge them for where they are and not realize that there's good reason they are where they are some of the time. Many people in the world we live in have been so damaged by the, their families of origin, the, the, the places they started out in life, that they are broken for a good reason. When you look at the sheer number of, of, of families that have crumbled and fallen apart in the world where you and I live, no wonder there's such brokenness and devastation in people. The, the very nest where these little birdies were supposed to be raised for us fractured and split apart for many of them at the very youngest ages of their lives. No wonder they're broken and hurting. Well, Jesus looks at them even years later and is able to trace the line of brokenness back to where it began. And when he looks at them, he doesn't just say, I see what you did. He says, I know why you are where you are because you are defenseless. You have been like a sheep without a shepherd for most of your life. Jesus looks at them and he said, number two, they were scattered. They're lost. They're wandering. They're looking everywhere for relief and satisfaction. <clears throat> it's easy for us sometimes who've known the Lord for a long time or who were raised in church and never wandered off to really get, um, I think, sometimes a little overly critical of people who've messed up in life. I want to tell you, lost people are lost. Amen. They're not just rebellious. They're lost. They're wandering. They are looking. They are frantically searching for something to meet the deep needs of their heart. And the reason they're they're out there doing what they're doing is because they haven't found him yet. They haven't discovered what you and I have discovered in Jesus. They don't understand what we do. They haven't tasted what we've tasted in the gospel, many of them. Now, there are people who have and wandered off, and I understand that. But can I tell you tonight, all across our county, there are thousands of people who have never had an encounter with Jesus. Not once. They've never trusted him. They've never been rescued. They've ne the lights have never come on in their soul of what God is really offering them in the gospel. And they're lost. They are defenseless. They are scattered. Number three, they're weary. Say weary. They're worn out. They are, they are uh, just run over by life. They're exhausted and harassed. They're run over by the devil. They're attacked by the evil one. They're pushed around by the enemy. And here they are. And they're just tired of life. You know, it's amazing when you look around today, just the epidemic of depression and even suicide in our culture today. People who are just so worn out that they can't imagine any way out except a permanent solution to their temporary problems by ending their lives. What a horrible thing to place to come to. But many people feel that in their heart. Finally, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus adds one to the list in Matthew 9, and he says they're heavy laden. Heavy laden, what does that mean? They're, they're under a load, they're under a heavy burden. And in Matthew, what Jesus is talking about literally is they're burdened down by a list of legalistic demands that other people have put on them. They're under the load of judgment from other people. Now, you can get that in the church from people who have 
false expectations. But I want to tell you, there are times that we get that, that lost people feel the weight of that from us even when we don't necessarily intend that. They know that there's something wrong in their life. They know there's a broken place. They know something isn't right. And yet they sense that those who have it together are sort of looking down their nose at them. Uh, and we might not intend to do that, but they often feel the import of that. They know that they're broken. They know that something isn't right. They know their life isn't what it ought to be. And they walk around with a very real sense of guilt and shame over the fact that their life has ended up the way it has and that they've gotten themselves into a mess. And oftentimes the shame of that keeps them from coming to church at all or wanting to talk about the gospel or even be around people like you and me in this room tonight. And we've got to help them get over that. We've got to be a bridge that steps across and reaches into their life where they are and helps them understand, listen, we're not better than you. We didn't, there's not something special about us that makes us different from you. The only difference is either Jesus has rescued me from that life or I met him so early that he protected me from ever ending up in that life. But at the end of the day, the difference is not I'm somehow superior to you. It is just the grace of God that has made a difference in my life and my family. And that grace that has changed us can work for them and it's available to them. And we have to be the advertisement for that. You know what? They often are burdened under that. But can I tell you something? There are times even in the church as Christians, we get heavy laden. Say heavy laden. What do you mean? I mean loaded down with unrealistic expectations. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Some of us are our own worst critics. Some of us are harder on ourselves than God is on us. Amen. Some of us have painted in our mind the picture of what we ought to be so high that we never lay down at night feeling like that we really did a good job that day or that God was pleased with what we did and how we served him and how we lived. And can I tell you tonight, I just don't believe that's the will of God for our lives. I don't believe it is God's will that you lay down every night of your life feeling like you were a disappointment to God. How many of you want your children to feel like that about you? Absolutely not. It would break your heart if you felt like night after night your kids laid their head in the bed feeling like they disappointed you. Well, God doesn't want us to feel that way either. But sometimes these unrealistic expectations in our head accuse us and condemn us and make us feel that way. Sometimes it is the unrealistic expectations that others put on us. Some of us have been the victim of that as well, right? Maybe an overbearing parent or even a spouse or, or a fellow church member. And the bar they set for us, maybe because of our role or maybe because of our family or maybe because we were a preacher's kid or something like that. There was a bar set for you and you were held to this standard. And many times in life you felt it was unfair and unrealistic. Amen. I hate it when people talk about preacher's kids and they say, well, you know, your kid ought not do that. He's a preacher's kid. Well, take the preacher off and remember he's a kid. Amen. Amen. They're just kids. They're kids like everybody else's kids. And they're going to act like everybody else's kids. Amen. Amen. That's just how that goes. And so being a preacher doesn't give them any extra dispensation of grace in that kind of way. Amen. Well, you know what? Sometimes preacher's kids act up around the church. Well, you know what? They're at the church more than other people's kids. So, of course, they do. Amen. Right, Chris? Lord have mercy. I mean, they cut their teeth on the back of a Church of God pew. Right, Ernie? You got your first tooth on a, on a church hymnal. 
right? I mean, just chewing on the thing, right? That's how that works. It just happens. You're here all the time. That kind of thing happens. Um, you know what? All of us, at some point in life, have had an expectation placed on us that we felt was unfair. And we can get under the weight of that. And if we're not careful, we will read that back into our relationship with God. It's one thing when it's people. We can sort of roll that off. But many of us, we fall trapped to the enemy because then we get alone with God. Then we kneel to pray and the enemy takes all that expectation either that others rolled on us or that we put on ourselves and it ends up heaping up on our shoulders in a big old mound of condemnation and shame and guilt and we get before God and the accusing voice of the enemy gets in our ear and the next thing you know we can't even and pray because we just don't feel like we measure up. I want to tell you tonight that is not how Jesus sees us. He sees us when we're defenseless or scattered, when we're weary, when we're heavy laden and burdened down with the unrealistic expectations of ourselves or others. Jesus warned about the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and 4. He said they bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they they lay them on men's shoulders. That's not God's will for us. Well, what does Jesus offer us? Well, he offers us in a word, rest. Say rest. And he talks about two different things here. First of all, he offers us a Sabbath rest. The, the word here, when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. The word here is an interesting word. There's two words for rest in Greek. Two words Jesus could have chosen. One means a permanent ceasing of labor. It is to retire. It is just, I'm done. Amen? It's just, I, I, I'm done. I, I've handed in my two-week notice. I'm ready to draw my pension check. I'm done. Retired. That's it. No more work out of me. That is not the word Jesus uses in this passage. As exciting as that would be, right? That's not the word Jesus uses. The other word that can be translated rest is the word sabaton. What does it sound like? Sabbath. And you'd be exactly right. It is a Sabbath rest. And a Sabbath is not a permanent retirement. It's a break in the rhythm of work. It is a regularly scheduled time that we hit the pause button on everything else that demands our attention and we pull back and we just get alone and we, 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 we sit at the feet of Jesus and we allow him to refresh us. Mark 6.31, Jesus told the disciples, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. In a period of busyness, Jesus told his disciples, Come aside and rest. People were still coming and going. And, in, and so if you wait on everything to slow down, you won't ever rest. There's always something else to be done. There's always more to tackle. But Jesus tells us there has to be a rhythm of working and resting. Amen? Working and resting. There's a rhythm to that. According to a great old legend in Athens, there was a man who was a great storyteller. His name was Aesop. And most of us grew up hearing his fables and his stories. One day Aesop was out playing in the yard with a group of children. And he was chasing a ball and playing games with the kids. And some of the more serious, austere men of Athens walked by and asked him why he would waste such time in activity like that with those boys in the yard. Well, he answered them 
as a good philosopher would with a question. He answered them and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question. He reached down and picked up a bow, as in a bow and arrow. He picked up a bow and he loosened the string off one end and let the string go and let the bow relax. And he looked back and he said, as they jeered at him, he said, I want you to answer me the riddle if you can. Tell me what the unstring bow implies. The man looked at it for several moments, but he had no idea the point Aesop was trying to make. And finally, the great storyteller explained. He said, if you keep the bow always bent, eventually it will break. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit for use when you need it to bend. Some of us live our lives with the bow bent all the time. And that is not the will of God for us. We must have seasons and moments and periods built into our lives where we let the bow go slack, where we unfasten the string, where we allow ourselves to pull back and rest, a Sabbath rest. Jesus said, I came to give you a Sabbath rest. Why can't we do that? Why can't we relax? Why can't we let go of some things in the presence of God? I want to tell you, at the end of the day, it takes faith to rest. Say that with me. It takes faith to rest. What God told the children of Israel was every six days you were to stop your labor and you were to take a break and rest. And then on the first day of the week you pick up and begin again. What was God saying to them? He was saying to them at the end of the week when it's all said and done, stop and remember that your labor is not what sustains you. My grace is what sustains you. At the end of the day, it is not what you do. It is what I have done for you that is your hope and that is your salvation. And they were to stop every six days and remember that and act it out. It takes faith to rest. If you, don't, if you believe it all depends on you, if you believe that you have to have your hands in the cookie dough all the time, if you believe that you have to keep all the balls in the air, if you believe it's up to you to keep all the plates spinning in life, you will never rest. You will never break. You will never slow down. And you will burn out. Why? Because living like that proves we believe a lie. At the end of the day, you know what? It doesn't all depend on us. We're not the one keeping the plates spinning. We're not the one keeping all the balls in the air. Are we to work? Yes. Are we to work hard? You better believe we're to work hard. That honors God. Anything less would be dishonoring to Him. But also, we must take time to pull back and remember, I am not God, I am not running the show here. I can rest. I can trust him. Psalm 46, God urges, be still and know that I am God. The word be still in Hebrew means let your hands fall down by your side. Take your hands off of it. Sometimes it's like a child when they come to you and they're wanting you to get the, 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 knot out of, uh, the, the knot out of the rope and they're wanting you to fix the toy that's broken and they're just like this and you can't do anything. And you're like, if you would take your hands off of it, I could fix it. That's how God is with us. Get your hands off of it. Lift your hands. Put your, put your hands in your lap. <laughs> put your hands down by your side. Let your hands fall. Stop frantically, feverishly trying to control all the details. Amen. I'm just a control freak. No, it's a lack of faith. Let's call it what it is. Ooh, quiet in the holiness church. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust that God loves me enough and that God will take care of me and that I don't have to have my hands on everything all the time. Hmm. 
Years ago, uh, the famous Reformation theologian Martin Luther, he had a best friend, a fellow theologian named Philip Melanchthon. And Melanchthon loved to talk with Luther and learn more about what he believed. And the two of them were very instrumental in the Protestant Reformation. One day, Melanchthon came to his friend Martin Luther and said, This day, you and I will discuss the governance of the universe. And Martin Luther looked back and he said, This day, you and I will go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. Sometimes you just need to go fishing. Sometimes you just need to go hit a, a ball off a tee. Sometimes you just need to let the rope go slack. Sometimes you need to unfasten the bow. Sometimes you need to be reminded that I'm not the one who keeps the earth on its axis. And if I take a breather, it'll be okay. Amen? Jesus said, I came to give you rest. It's a Sabbath rest. Say Sabbath rest. But it's even deeper than that. It's a soul rest. Say a soul rest. I will give you rest for your souls. There's something deep and meaningful that Jesus offers us here. One of my favorite verses about this is in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 verses 9 to 11. The writer of Hebrews says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered into God's rest has himself ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Jesus offers us release from the false idea that God loves us or accepts us because of what we contribute. We don't have to live that way. We're secure in our position, not our performance. We're not slaves who stay because of what we do. We're sons and daughters, and we abide in the house because of who we are. We're sons and daughters by faith in Christ Jesus. We can put to rest the voice of the accuser, our own obsessive tendency to believe that we're never enough or that we never do enough, and the unrealistic expectations of others. We can find rest for our souls. Why? We rest in Jesus. We rest in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Pastor, don't you know that I, I feel like I don't ever measure up? Well, do you know that Jesus measured up and you're in him and you can rest? Amen. That's what Calvary means. Jesus lived the life I could not live. Sinless, flawless, perfect life. And when I trust in Jesus, that righteous record is credited to my account. It's like Jesus walked into the room when I was taking an impossible test and he slid my paper onto his desk and he made an A plus and he wrote my name at the top of it instead of his name. <laughs> and I get credit for his perfect score. That's grace, that's mercy, that's Calvary, and that's rest. That's rest. We can rest in Jesus tonight. There remains a rest for the people of God. He who has entered into God's rest has ceased from his own works. What does that mean? We've stopped trying to impress God with our flawless behavior. We've stopped trying to earn God's approval by batting a thousand or getting it right all the time. I wouldn't trust my best five minutes on the day of judgment in the presence of God. Isaac Watts wrote, the best obedience of my hand dares not appear before thy throne. But faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. I boast no more, my God, of the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy son. We used to sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There is a rest for the people of God. You can anchor your soul in Jesus tonight. You can have peace with God. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you've been declared righteous. You can know that your account is settled. You can know that you have peace with God through the blood of his cross. And you can lay your head down tonight, not thinking so, not hoping so, but knowing tonight that if something happened and you slipped out into eternity, you would be immediately at home in heaven with Jesus. Why? Because you've anchored in Jesus. You've anchored your soul in the haven of rest tonight. Well, what does Jesus ask from us? How do we get this? Well, he says two things. Number one, he says, come to me. Say, come to me. Jesus says I want, he wants us to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. I love that. He didn't say how to come. He just says come. He didn't give us a bunch of prerequisites. He doesn't give us a list of things we have to check off. He doesn't give us a, a task a chore list to do before we come. He doesn't say get your ducks in a row or get all the knots out of your rope. He just says come. Again, the old hymn of the church, come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will rise and go to Jesus. He will take me in his arms. We can find a rest in Jesus tonight. You can come to church without coming to Christ. You can come to the Lord's table without coming to Christ. You can go through all the motions and leave as a, just as burdened and exhausted as you came. You can come to the altar without coming to Christ. You can come to the preacher without coming to Christ. He didn't say come to any of those things. Jesus said come unto me. Come unto me. Come to Jesus in Matthew 9, 28, Jesus asked the blind men who came to him for healing, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? Isn't that the question? Isn't that the question? That's the question about our salvation. That's the question about our peace with God. That's the question about anything. Do we trust him enough to come to him, to cast our cares on him, to roll our burden off onto the Lord? No matter what our problem is today, Jesus can handle it. If you read through Matthew 9 sometime in your quiet time, you'll find a whole list of things that Jesus did that were humanly impossible. Just read through chapter 9. It's a great little read. He forgives sin. He heals a paralyzed man. He raised a girl from the dead. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He restored sight to two blind men. And he set a demon-bound man free. That's just in one chapter. Jesus can fix it. Jesus can do it. Jesus is able. And he looks at us and says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Whatever my problem, Jesus can handle it. And if Jesus can handle that, he can handle my anxiety and my fear and my doubt and my worry and my sin. He can handle it. Amen? How, how do I get that, Pastor? Come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. The second thing he says is commit to me. Say commit. 
We've got to come to him and we've got to commit to him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke is an interesting thing. Whenever, whenever Jesus calls us to come to him, he tells us, you're going to take my yoke upon you. Now, that might be uh, quite a contradictory thought, right? What does a yoke have to do with rest? Now, I don't know a lot, but I remember my dad owned one of these contraptions. And whenever you put an animal in a yoke, he's not about to rest. He's about to work, right? When you put an animal in a yoke, you're about to attach him to a plow and he's going to bust up a field. Or you're going to attach him to a wagon and he's going to pull a cart and carry a load. A yoke is about working, not resting. So what does Jesus mean by this? If you want to rest, take my yoke upon you. Well, there's an interesting thing about this. Beth Moore points out this is the only place in the whole Bible where a yoke is a good thing. Say a yoke is a good thing. Everywhere else it's considered a bad thing. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The Bible says in Galatians, Christ has set us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage, right? This idea is a, it's a bad thing. But in the New Testament, in this one place, it's a good thing and not a bad thing. You see, a farmer would put a young animal in a yoke with an older, stronger trained animal to teach it how to pull the load properly and how to carry the, the, the burden and how to plow a field. Jesus says if you're exhausted and you're loaded down with care and condemnation and you're living the Christian life and you don't feel like you ever please God, you lay down every night with no peace, Jesus would say to us, it's not the load, it's the way you're carrying it. Say that with me. It's not the load, it's the way you're carrying it. I had a friend of mine tell me that one day. Many of you know uh, uh, Aaron Connor. He is uh, one of ours, the son of this house. And he's in the U.S. military. He's an army chaplain. And he talked about having a backpack on his shoulders. And he said, Pastor, you can have, you can have a 25-pound pack. And if you've got the straps too loose and it's hanging down here on your back, you won't be able to go three miles with that pack without your back hurting. He said, but you can take a 50-pound pack. And if you'll cinch it tight and you'll get it up on top of your shoulders, you can carry that thing for five miles without it breaking your back. It's not the load, he said. It's the way you carry it. There's a lot of truth in that. The way we carry the load. Does God have expectations? Sure he does. Does he have commands? Absolutely. But the way we carry them is often what breaks us down. Hear me today. Jesus said if we're exhausted trying to earn God's approval, we need to get in the yoke with him and let, us, let him teach us a new way to live. The truth is everybody is yoked to something. Every commitment we make binds us, harnesses us, if it's a real commitment. But serving Jesus is easier than serving any other master. Did you hear me? It's better and easier to serve Jesus than to serve anybody else. And the very fact that we often don't feel that way proves just how wrong-headed we've got it. <clears throat> we, we say things like, you know, well, no, it's hard to serve God. God God's a hard taskmaster. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. There's an interesting line in the Bible where uh, Jesus passes out, you know, talents and, and that last lazy servant who comes in. Do you remember what he says to, to the master on the day of accounting? The other two come running in and they say, we are so excited to give an account of our lives to you. You gave me five and I'm bringing you back ten. You gave me two and I'm returning four. 
But there was one guy who walked in and he said, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you reaped where you didn't sow. I knew that, that this was true of you and you were a very shrewd businessman. And I was afraid and so I hid my talent in the ground so that I wouldn't lose it. Here it is. Was his assessment of his master true? No, it wasn't true. His master was not harsh. His master's expectations were not unrealistic or unfair. He was not a hard taskmaster. He didn't reap where he didn't sow. He just expected to reap where he did sow. He had made an investment. And he expected a return on that investment. And that wasn't unfair. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't something that was harsh or unworthy. No, Jesus got it right. The master turns and says, the problem is not with the master. The problem is with the servant. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. <laughs> the problem was not with God. It was with the guy serving him. It was his view of God and his view of himself. I want to tell you tonight, once we realize that God loves us and He's for us and He will enable us and empower us, it makes us want to get up and do something for Him. It makes us want to serve Him because He can be pleased. He is delighted whenever He sees us trying our best in His service. It's easier to serve Jesus than to serve sin or popularity or selfish ambition or the desires of your flesh or to attempt to people please all the time and check the box of everybody else liking you. It's easier to serve Jesus. It's easier to walk with Him. He's a much better master than that. Well, how is being in the yoke with different Jesus? I close with this. Two things. Number one, it's a perfect fit. Say it's a perfect fit. I love that picture there. That's an old yoke. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament it was against the law to hook up two different kind of animals in the same yoke. You remember that? You were not allowed to plow a field with an ox and a donkey. Why? They're unequally yoked. And if you put them together in the same yoke, one of them is taller than the other, one of them pulls different than the other, and one of them will wear the other one out trying to walk with him. Amen? I want to tell you something. That's what it was like to try, that's what it's like to try to live under the law. That's what it's like to measure your relationship with God by a list of rules and restrictions. You are constantly worn out and you can't keep up and you always feel like you're a failure. It rubs wrong. It doesn't fit right. It, but the yoke of Jesus is a perfect fit. For my yoke is easy. Say easy. Jesus said my yoke is easy. What does it mean? It's a perfect fit. Jesus teaches us how to walk with God and obey God in a way that sits easy on us. It's not hard. It, we do it not because we're bound to. We do it because we love Him. We do it because He's been so good. We do it out of gratitude. We don't do it to be accepted. We do it because He's already accepted us and we want to please Him. Amen. That's the yoke of Jesus. It's love, it's peace, it's joy all the way. Number two, it's a lighter load. Say a lighter load. The other thing I want you to notice about this yoke is this. It's not my yoke, it's his yoke. Jesus said, come here and get your yoke. No, he didn't. What did he say? He said, come take my yoke upon you. This is not your load, this is his load. He's inviting you into his yoke. It's a double yoke. You don't have to carry the burden on your own. There's not one animal pulling this load. There's two. And I want to tell you the person you're in the yoke with tonight is none other than the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who doesn't get tired, who doesn't grow weary. 
Your failing is never going to be too much for Him. Your problems are never going to be too big a challenge for Him. You're never going to mess it up so badly that He can't rescue you. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Why is His burden light? Because He's carrying part of it just like you are. And in the moments whenever we feel like we can't go another step, we remember the load is not all on my shoulders. I'm in His yoke and He will help me bear the burden. He will help me carry the load. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, Jesus will help me. Jesus alone. I want to tell you tonight, whatever it is, you don't have to carry it by yourself. That's the good news of the gospel. You're not alone. You've never been. You won't ever be. And so when you look down the road at the future and you imagine whatever scary thing pops in your head about tomorrow, let me tell you something. Whenever you get there, Jesus will already be there. And whenever you get there, Jesus will not be caught off guard by what has come down the pike for you. And whenever you get there, you will not have to walk through it by yourself. You will not have to face it alone. Jesus will be in the yoke with you. And when the burden is too much for you, it will never be too much for him. And it will not crush you because you're not in the traces by yourself. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because it's a double yoke. And he pulls and bears the load with you. Stand with me all over God's house tonight. The older ox knew the field. He would teach the younger one how to pull the load. Jesus is the great teacher. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus is a patient teacher. He's willing to condescend to us no matter how faltering or failing we may be. And he said if we'll come to him and commit to him, we will not find condemnation, We will not find a heavy-handed taskmaster who can't be pleased. He said we'd find rest for our soul. Are you living in rest tonight? I mean, be honest. Whenever you ask the question, whenever you answer the question, what do I think God thinks about me? What do you feel that God feels about you? How does God feel about you? What does Jesus think of you? I want to tell you tonight, His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And if you'll come to him and commit to him, you will find rest. Rest for your soul tonight. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the good news. I'm not ever by myself. I don't have to walk this thing alone. Amen. Too many of us are carrying a load of baggage and bondage we were never intended to carry. Never designed to bear. Why not bring it to the cross? Do you believe that Jesus can help you? If you open blinded eyes and raise the dead, is your problem too big for his power? If you've messed up today, God's not angry. He's not disappointed. He doesn't just know what you did. He knows why you did what you did. Jesus knows why. And he wants to heal you. He loves you like you are, but he's not going to leave you stuck where you are. He wants you to trade your yoke of bondage for a relationship with him. Come to him. Commit to him. He'll give you rest. If you're a believer and you've never really anchored your heart in God's love for you, Jesus says, come unto me. Come and rest. Come and rest. Do you remember the old hymn of the church? My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress. But I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. Then I entered the haven of rest. I anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep, but in Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Church, that's the gospel. Are you anchored in Jesus? 
Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, before we go tonight, I don't know who this message is for, but Lord, I know the tendency of God's people to often navel gaze and check our pulse every five minutes and rake ourselves over the coals and walk away feeling like God must feel like I feel about me or God must feel like others feel about me. Lord, help us to see tonight that that's a lie. It isn't true. You've told us in your word how you feel about us. You love us. You've accepted us in Jesus. <clears throat> and tonight we don't have to labor and try to earn your love or acceptance. We can rest tonight in the cross of Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight if there's anyone here who just needs rest, that they'll come tonight and they'll find it in you. They'll find it in you. They'll put all their weight down on your love and they'll trust you enough to take their hands off some things, to pull back and allow you to be God, and they'll trust you to take care of them and meet the need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Chad, can we sing that tonight? Let's sing that. The altar's open if you need to pray. We'd love to pray with you. Let's sing this great song of the church tonight. Let's sing it. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.